Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of The Casual Criminalist. I, as always, am your host, Simon Wams here. One of my writers, in this case, Matthew Matt. Thank you, Matt, has written me an Austrian horror story, The Nightmare of Elizabeth Fritzl. Isn't this the woman who was kept in the basement? And there's like all sorts of horrible stuff, words that I'm not going to say this early because on YouTube we'll get demonetized for it. Sorry, podcast listeners. I know you have to put up with this as well. Um, but I like to, to to make money from the videos that I make. So we'll be a little careful. But let's just say I get the feeling this episode is going to be particularly horrible. Anyway, I've never read this before, as you can probably tell. That's the format of the show. Let's jump in, shall we? Pack your bags, everyone. We're headed to Austria. Armstetten, Lower Austria, to be more precise. Fairly close to your neck of the woods, Simon. Yeah, I live in the Czech Republic right next to, to Austria. I went to Vienna a few years ago. It was nice. They have, the, the schnitzels there are different. <laughs> like, they're super thin. I think they call them Vienna schnitzels or something. And they're <laughs> fascinating tangent, Simon, about schnitzel preferences. But I prefer, like, the... What's a German schnitzel like? Because a Czech schnitzel is much thicker and more juicy, whereas an Austrian schnitzel is very thin. And I've just got used to the, the thicker schnitzels. Thanks. Th- that, this is not interesting at all. I'm so sorry. Let's just carry on. You're here to learn about, oh God, <laughs> you dark-souled individual. A uh, city no larger than 20 square miles has got a population of 23,656 as of 2018. And it appears to be an unassuming little city. Fascinating. <laughs> Although that might just make what occurred there all the more shocking. The date was April the 19th, 2008, and we find ourselves in the Landesklinium Armstetten. German language. Why do you have to, can't you just have separate words? Why do you have to mash everything together into one giant word? A local hospital in the area. Let's just call it the LA for short. Easy. Doctors and nurses were going about their day helping patients, making sure everything was in order when a new patient was admitted, having fallen unconscious earlier in the day. Her name was Kirsten Fritzl, and she was in bad shape. To say the doctors were nearly looking at a ghost is a bit of an understatement. She barely had any teeth left, and those she did have were rotting and close to falling out. She was clinically malnourished, her hair was stark white, her skin so pale that it was nearly translucent, and almost all her veins were visible to the naked eye. Oh, all of her veins, Matt. What, even the ones deep inside her body, Matt? (laughs) Sorry. Stupid nitpick. Let's carry on. She wasn't alone, though. Accompanying her was a tall gentleman of 73. He had messy black hair that had almost completely greyed with age and was styled to stick straight up, a long, wrinkled face and sharp eyes that were both emotionless and unnervingly cunning. This dude, if I saw this dude, if I was a doctor, I'd be like, that dude, watch him. (laughs) Watch that suspicious dude. In this writer's opinion, he looked like someone had taken the cringe from Dr. Seuss and completely shaved him down. Oh, God. This was Joseph Fritzl, and he was the woman's grandfather. The doctors were stunned and horrified. Kirsten looked like she could be in her 50s or 60s, but in reality, she was only 19 years old. The doctors asked for a name so that they could assess her medical records, but there were none. No doctor's appointments, no checkups, not even a birth certificate or mention of her name anywhere in the system. It was as if Kirsten Kirsten Fritzl did not exist at all. The medical staff examined her further and found that her condition was even worse than they had feared. Kirsten had a severe vitamin D deficiency, which caused a medley of health problems, compounded by the fact that she was in severe, life-threatening kidney failure. I've got a vitamin D deficiency. (laughs) I went to the doctor a couple of years ago and they were like, your vitamin D is worryingly low. Do you go outside? And I was like, no, no. I literally, my office is a basement. I am a basement dweller. Like that's where I I spend most of my day in here. And then I go home. And I spend my time inside. 
And they were like, okay, you're going to need to take vitamin D supplements or go out into the sun. And I'm like, well, I'm not going out into the sun, am I? <laughs> so now every day I take a little vitamin D pill. The doctors went to Joseph with this information, telling him they needed to get in contact with Kirsten's mother in the hope that they could ha- she could help them figure out the problem. But Joseph refused to put them in contact with her. The doctors were quickly growing both frustrated and suspicious of the older man, since it evaded their questions and inquiries from the moment that it arrived at the hospital with his granddaughter, and he refused to give them any clarifications or straightforward answers to their questions. Something was definitely not right. Yeah, when someone who sh- shows up at the hospital, who looks 50, doesn't have any teeth, doesn't have any medical records. It's like, ah, 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 let's call the old popo. Let's get the police in it. Just in case. On April the 26th, 2008, just two days after Kirsten had been admitted to hospital, the medical staff contacted the police, excellent, and asked for their assistance in contacting Kirsten's mother. <laughs> they should also be, how well you're at it, how well you're at it. I don't want to profile someone based on how they look, but we've basically got the shaved down Grinch here. And he's mad suspicious. So maybe just, you know, ask him a few questions. Make sure that he's not a f***ing criminal, okay? The authorities sent out a broadcast through the public media, hoping that she would come forward with answers. The police also looked into their files and came upon something of note. It was the missing persons case of one Elizabeth Fritzel, Joseph's daughter. She had been missing for the past 24 years, and her case had been closed with the belief being that she'd simply run away. However, Joseph's behavior at the hospital had only heightened suspicions that something much darker was at work. So now, dear audience, dear Simon, join me once again as we venture into the darkness, as we uncover a secret so deplorable that it resonated the world over and sent Austria into a fit of shock and disgust. It's the story of how one girl's life was cruelly and heinously changed, her freedom stripped away from her in the most vile way possible, and all at the hands of someone who was meant to love and protect her. This is the tale of Elizabeth Fritzel, and it doesn't get any more monstrous than this. So now, once more into the abyss. Oh, that rhymes. Little poem there to get started <laughs> on this horrible, horrible note. Let me interrupt today's episode to tell you about today's fantastic sponsor, Rocket Money. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills all in one place. Look, over 80% of people have subscriptions that they forgot about, and chances are you're one of them. Yeah, it's only 80%. I'd say... I have so many. I don't even know what some of them are. It's like, oh God, what is this? And that's where Rocket Money comes in. They'll help you quickly and easily find your subscriptions. And for any you don't want to pay for anymore, just hit cancel and Rocket Money will cancel it for you. It is that easy. They also help you manage all your finances in one place and automatically categorize your expenses so you can easily track your budget in real time and also get alerted if anything looks a little bit off, a little bit fishy. Over 3 million people have used Rocket Money, saving the average person up to $720 a year, which is a large amount of money. And I still think if I cancelled all my subscriptions that I didn't need, I'd probably still save more than that, wouldn't I? Anyway, stop throwing your money away, cancel unwanted subscriptions, and manage your expenses the easy way by going to rocketmoney.com slash casual. That's rocketmoney.com slash casual. Rocketmoney.com slash casual. And now back to today's episode. Joseph Fritzl was born on April the 9th, 1935, in Amstetten, Lower Austria. An only child, his father, Joseph Sr., was an alcoholic who abandoned his family when Joseph was only four. He never contacted his family ever again, and he died fighting for the Nazis in World War II, which resulted in his name getting etched onto a memorial plaque in Amstetten. So yes, not the greatest start, and it only gets worse from there. Isn't rule number two, don't f*** up your kids? That includes becoming an alcoholic and then running away and getting murdered. Or killed in a war, not murdered. You know what I mean. Not great. Not a great start. 
This left Joseph to be raised by his mother, Maria, and to those looking in, they seemed to have a rather normal and caring relationship. For most of his life, Joseph spoke very highly of his mother, saying that she was the best woman in the world and as strict as it was necessary. That's a bit weird, though. Like, what do you think you are? Well, she was as strict as she was nece- as necessary. <laughs> Doesn't sound like a good thing. That sounds like you're getting beaten. Eventually, he admitted that Maria was incredibly abusive. Oh my God, shock horror, both verbally and physically. What? And that he was frightened to death of her as a child. She even called him Satan on multiple occasions. Again, rule number two, don't fuck up your kids. Don't call your kids Satan. At least, like, I don't know, sometimes my son lately is an absolute nightmare. He's like, he gets up at four and then he just runs around the house throwing around the place he's nuts he's like one and a half years old so you he doesn't even understand yet to be like don't do that please you're driving me insane (laughs) he went on in interviews later in life to say that she used to beat me oh my god simon you can't make jokes like this and then you have to read a sentence like this where it's just so horrible ah god damn you gotta learn to control yourself she used to beat me, hit me, until I was lying in a pool of blood on the floor. It left me feeling totally humiliated and weak. My mother was a servant, and she used to work hard all her life. I never had a kiss from her. I was never cuddled, although I wanted it. I wanted her to be good to me. Don't f*** up your kids, everyone. This keeps coming up, and Simon is starting to sound like a broken record. Some things I'm okay with being a broken record on. Like, one, don't f*** up your kids. Two, get a f***ing carbon monoxide detector, okay? That's why you think there are ghosts. If you think there are ghosts, first get a carbon monoxide detector. If there's no carbon monoxide, see a doctor. Broken record, Simon. I know. I'm sorry. Get your life sorted. Not much is known about his life until 1956. Now 21, Joseph met and married 17-year-old Rosemary. The circumstances of their romance, how they even met, or even Rosemary's original last name, doesn't seem to be public record as I couldn't find anything on it. But what I do know is they purchased and moved into their home soon after the marriage was official. Then in 1959, Joseph agreed that his abusive mother could move in with the couple oh no joseph what are you doing she would end up staying with him until her death in 1980 that's 21 years later ah yes i know oh god that's so long she'd end up keep that in mind there'll be a bit more on that one later during the course of their marriage joseph and rosemary had a total of seven children together three sons four daughters Their fourth child, Elizabeth, was born on April 6, 1966. During this time, Joseph completed his education at an HTL technical college and obtained a qualification in electrical engineering. He had several different jobs over the course of his career and was a successful and respected technician and electrician before retiring from active work in 1995. Everyone in town knew the Fritzels, and everybody liked and respected Joseph. He and Rosemary were very popular with their neighbors and were seen as upstanding citizens. But even the happiest of families hide their secrets behind closed doors. I see, I don't know, I see, I've got a fairly happy family. Like, I think of my happy, my happy family, and my kids, and my wife, and like, I don't know. Like, <laughs> we're just happy, we're just having a good time. There's no like crazy dark secrets. It's like, oh, you never know what they're hiding. And it's like, no, <laughs> we're just having a nice time. <laughs> Which I think is how the majority of people are, right? It's like you look at someone and it's like, oh, look how happy they are. And they're just happy. They're just having a good time. They're not like heinous murderers and pieces of sh- Right? That's what I tell myself because I do too many of these true crime things. And you think everyone like is horrible. And you're like, no, no, no. It's just like a small percentage who get featured on true crime shows who are real pieces of sh-. Everyone else is just like going on with their lives, like having a chill time, being good to each other. You know, peace and love. <laughs> 
You see, the overt and senseless abuse aside, Pramps' mother wasn't too far off when she called Joseph the devil. In 1967, a 24-year-old nurse was at home when Joseph broke into her home. He took out a knife and held it to her throat, threatening to kill her if she screamed or called for help before he assaulted her. That same year, he was named a suspect in the attempted... There's a word that I can't use, certainly not this early in the episode, that begins with an R, second letter E, third letter P, fourth letter E. Um, yeah, I just can't say that word because I keep getting demonetized. Thanks, YouTube. So now we have this ridiculous dance. So he did that to a 21-year-old. It also didn't help that at the time he'd been reported to the police for indecent exposure. For this, he was sentenced to an 18-month prison sentence, but he only ended up serving 12 of those months before being released in full. Wait, it was for the sexual thing or for the indecent exposure because that seems like a lot for in what, is, what indecent exposure can mean a lot like if you're getting naked in a park with children in it then obviously obviously that's a bit different than i don't know just wandering around naked on the street or something <laughs> i don't even know entirely sure indecent exposure like what that crime ranges for but also then 12 to 18 months for the r word seems very very light Ah, the criminal justice system, always finding a way to f*** up in one form or another. After that, Joseph seemed to keep his nose clean, so much so that, thanks to the way the Austrian system works, his criminal record was fully expunged after 15 years. What are we doing, Austrian law? Um, yeah, for sexual assault and stuff like that, you should be on the register, right? I mean, it's difficult to call, but shouldn't you be on the register forever if you do something like that? I'm not saying, like, you have to declare it when you get a job and stuff. But there should be a little thing like, okay, don't put them in positions where this could be abused. That sort of thing, right? But I feel like after some time, you shouldn't have a criminal record anymore. You should be allowed to start again, right? Because otherwise it's just like, well, should you? Oh, I don't know. This isn't moral debate podcast. This is the Casual Criminalist. Let's carry on. If only they'd known, because in 1977, when Elizabeth was 11 years old, Joseph started sexually abusing his own daughter. Yeah, this guy should have been on a list forever forever and i hope he's dead <laughs> he's dead right he's got to be dead now like because what his dad was in the second world war no what was he 16 and 55 no he could still be alive oh he's definitely in prison though they don't have death penalty in germany unfortunately i'm assuming maybe he got killed in prison this seems like the kind of dude who get killed in prison which, which would be nice yes if that doesn't make your skin crawl enough joseph had started sneaking into her room late at night and assaulting her repeatedly all under his wife's nose it isn't believed that he acted this way towards his other three daughters all his depraved desire seemed to be aimed specifically at elizabeth this isn't to say that the rest of his family was exempt from his torment though far from it while the outside world saw him as a loving father and husband joseph was extremely abusive towards everyone living in his house he'd get into frequent shouting matches with elizabeth and his other family members and it frequently resulted in joseph beating rosemary elizabeth and his other kids on a regular basis it said that elizabeth got the worst of it though as she was the most outspoken of the children and wasn't afraid to stand up to him in his controlling ways all while rosemary and the others were too frightened of him to do anything Eventually, she had enough of her father and his authoritative behavior. After finishing her compulsory education at the age of 15, Elizabeth started a course to become a waitress. You have to have a course to become a waitress? <laughs> I'm not, not that I'm diminishing the complexity of being a waitress, but isn't that the sort of thing that's taught on the job, like, over a week? Like, you go in and it's like you get a trainee badge, and they're like, here's the till, here's the kitchen, be polite. Boom. <laughs> Don't steal. <laughs> 
Boom, done. Before she finished the course, she and a friend ran, uh, from work ran away together, ending up in Vienna. Joseph and Rosemary reported her to the police, and the two girls were found only three weeks later. She got a taste of freedom, only to be carted away back to the hell that was home, and I can't help but feel bad for her. After that, she finished the waitress course in mid-1984 and was offered a job in Linz, all the while still under the abusive thumb of her father. And I'm in no way blaming her in any way whatsoever. I'm just putting it out there as a remember, like, if you're the police are coming, now's a great chance to be like, okay, you've got to do it. Tell them, tell them, tell them. Just tell them. Just tell them. Just do it. It's not her fault, but if anyone, if you're ever in a situation like that, just do it. Tell the police. Tell the police. They won't mind in any way whatsoever. They'll be there for you. So yes, the man had all the tender sweeteners of a seasick crocodile, and I wouldn't touch him with a 39 and a half foot pole. It's very specific. He tormented his family to no end and has already proven himself to be a vile monster of a man. But for those unfamiliar with the story in its entirety, I know what you must be thinking. Well, Matt, you're right. He's clearly awful. But how does this tie into how we open this story? Well, it all began when Elizabeth ran away for the very last time. I'm not Oh, okay. Wish she ran away. Okay, let's see. Let's see where this goes. Because I, I, you know, this was in the press a few years ago, and I vaguely remember the terrible things that happen in this story, but not. Let's just carry on. The disappearance. The day was August the twenty eighth, nineteen eighty three, and at first it seemed to be a day just like any other. However, Rosemary soon noticed that something was very wrong. Elizabeth was nowhere to be found, no sign of her at work, and her friends hadn't seen her at all, which worried Rosemary even more. Not wasting any time, she notified the police and filed a missing persons report, getting the authorities on the case in record time. The police talked to family and the neighbors. They scoured the neighborhood, but they couldn't find hide nor hair of Elizabeth Fritzel. And just as a reminder, it was around this time that 15 years would have passed and Joseph's record would have been expunged, totally erased, so the police would have no reason to suspect him or even any records to look up. F***ing brilliance. Yeah, see, that's the problem. That's why I feel like for crimes of a certain magnitude... Okay, can't we draw a line between, sure, an employer doesn't need to know about a crime that you committed 15 years ago. But how about we just like let the police have a little look-see into that stuff? How about that's not completely expunged? It's just no longer public or anything like that. It's just the police or, I don't know, spies or whatever can have a look at it, right? Like, surely if someone's like arrested for spying, the German intelligence service or whatever can be like, well, you, you, you were a spy once, you know? They can look into that, surely. So the police should be able to look at the sexual offenders register or whatever they have anyway then a whole month later a letter arrived joseph himself hand delivered the letter to the police with a return address marked as braunau austria opening it both joseph and rosemary confirmed that it was elizabeth's handwriting the letter was short simple and to the point elizabeth was tired of living with her family she was tired of living under her father's rules she had taken off and was now living with her friends at the very end of the letter it stated that should her parents or the police try to come looking for her she'll leave the country and never return. Am I the only one who finds this suspect? No, Matt, you are not. She was forced to write this. Apparently so, because with the letter, the investigation simply ceased. Oh my god, police. <laughs> really? Really? No more searching, no more asking questions. It just stopped, and the police went off to their other duties. 
Now, I get that she's 18 and a legal adult who's allowed to do her own thing, but even then, you'd think that someone would still be worried. Even Rosemary, her own mother, just let the issue drop, even after Joseph stated that he believed she'd run off to join some sort of cult. His reasoning? Because Elizabeth would be becoming more and more interested in the supernatural and the occult. Now, not only was that not true in the slightest, but you'd think that the thought of their little girl joining a cult of any fashion would be worrying, yes? No? Just me? Alrighty then. It's like, yeah, if any of my kids joined a cult, I'd be like, ah, uh, you're gonna do something about that shit. <laughs> what did he say? Nine years went by. Say it again. Nine years went by, and the case of Elizabeth's disappearance had gone as cold as Alaska. She never came home. She never wrote again, and life just seemed to keep going. The family continued to live their lives. Joseph continued to make their lives a misery. And the only time they ever had a reprieve from him was when he was told he would spend time down in his workshop in the basement. They were just seemingly content that their daughter was out there somewhere doing God knows what, just living her life. Until the first baby showed up. In May 9th... Oh, this is so dark. I know what's going on. It's so horrible. Ah... In May 1993, Rosemary discovered something rather shocking and peculiar outside their home. A little baby girl in a cardboard box. The nine-month-old baby came with a note from Elizabeth, and it said, Dear parents, I am leaving you my little daughter, Lisa. Take care of my little girl. I breastfed her for, her for about six and a half months, and now she drinks her milk from the bottle. She is a good girl, and she eats everything else from the spoon. This apparently didn't raise eyebrows with, well, anybody, and Joseph and Rosemary happily took the little one in without hesitation. And of course, with his criminal record erased, the authorities didn't have any reason to look sideways at this rapist who was raising his infant granddaughter. Oh my god. Now, I understand that sometimes mothers, especially young ones, get into situations that they aren't properly equipped for. I get that sometimes they feel that they're not capable or fit to raise a child, and if this was any other story, maybe that's actually what happened. Elizabeth got pregnant, and after trying to make it work, she felt that she couldn't raise her daughter the right way, and back in the day, many women in this situation were not looked on so favorably, so she figured it would just be simpler to have her mother raise the child. But then I think her dad. All Joseph had done to her, all it put her through, and she dropped off the child in his care? I understand she might not have felt prepared to be a mum, but I doubt she would have been okay with leaving her infant in the care of her sexually abusive father. I can't possibly imagine how someone in this position could think because you get your your brain is just scrambled on this sh like when you're in an abusive situation and people like and look, I don't know anything about this, but people make bad decisions. So I agree it's insane, but you never know how people in this situation think. And then it happened twice more. In December of 1994, a stroller was found in the early morning outside the entrance to the Fritzl home. It contained the 10-month-old Monica Fritzl, 10 months old, another one of Elizabeth's daughters. No note this time, but something even stranger. Shortly after Monica appeared, Rosemary was at home when the new house phone started ringing. Answering it, she was met with the voice of Elizabeth. She sounded distressed, asking her mother to look after Monica, but something was wrong. Listening to the call, Rosemary immediately realized it was a tape-recorded call. This was only further emphasized when she hung up, only for the phone to ring again right after, and the same message played right from the beginning. Not suspicious at all, is it? The second thing that caught Rosemary's attention was that Elizabeth, who had not been home in ten years, had somehow gotten their phone number, a number that was recently changed. Curiouser and curiouser. 
Three years later, in 1997, the same thing happened again. Joseph came inside the house, this time with a 15-month-old infant. This was Elizabeth's son, Alexander, and had apparently been dropped off in their backyard in the middle of the day without anyone seeing it and without even a letter. No one questioned it. No one thought to investigate. Social services never got involved. Life simply continued, and a new family member was added to the household. With Joseph and Rosemary acting as loving grandparents, all the while, Joseph seemed intent to poison the minds of his grandchildren, doing everything in his power to drill into them that their mother abandoned them and that she was living her life without them. Grandpa of the year, ladies and gentlemen. This guy is piece of shit of the fuck century, to be honest. Like, we know what's going on, right, dear audience? We know, we know, we know. The reappearance. I'm sure you're wondering the same thing. Well, Matt, this has all been very interesting, but what about Kirsten? We started the story off with her, and you told us that she was Elizabeth's daughter, and yet she wasn't dropped off to her grandparents, and she was in Joseph's care. What's going on there? Well, we'd like to answer that right now. We're back in 2008, and Kirsten has been in the hospital for a week. The police have reopened the case of Elizabeth's disappearance, and they now need to find her if there's any shot of keeping Kirsten alive. Nothing seemed to be adding up, though. There was no evidence that Elizabeth was wandering around somewhere, no trail to follow, no leads to hunt down. It was like she had just vanished into thin air, her children being the only physical link to her. Joseph was questioned once more, and he stuck to the exact same story. He said that Elizabeth had run away and joined a cult of some kind, all without any solid proof. What he did have, though, was the newest letter from Elizabeth, dated January 2008, and it seemed to have been delivered from the town of Kemerton. The police, however, were not convinced, so they brought in an expert. Manfred Wolfhart was an officer of the church and an expert on cult, and he was contacted about all the tales that Joseph had been telling them for years. Taking in all the details, he noted two things. First was that he had serious doubts that any sort of cult that Joseph described even existed, and second was that while examining the newest letter as well as the older one, he believed that these were coached and that every word was dictated to Elizabeth as she was writing. Experts are really impressive sometimes. Like, you know when you talk to someone and you don't know much about something, and then they're like, yeah, and then this, and then this with this, and have you thought about this? And you're like, holy shit, no, wow, you put that together just like this. It really impresses me sometimes. Even then, the police had no leads until Elizabeth came home. That's right, out of nowhere, on April the 26th, 2008, Elizabeth Fritzl just reappeared, Joseph by her side. But it wasn't just Elizabeth, as along with her were two other children, the 17-year-old Stefan and the 5-year-old Felix. Together they arrived at the hospital, wanting an update on Kirsten, but they wouldn't be there for long. Dr. Alfred Reiter, one of the doctors handling Kirsten's case, said that it had been suspicious of Joseph from the start. As soon as Joseph arrived with the mysterious missing mother-slash-daughter, he tipped off the police, and both Joseph and Elizabeth were separated and detained so that they could be questioned. Excellent. Excellent work, Doc and police. Let's go. Joseph didn't tell the officers anything new, just the same odd nonsense, and Elizabeth was also fairly tight-lipped, until the police offered her one very important thing, that she'd never have to see her father again. Once she heard that, she sang like a canary, and weaved a tale so shocking that it would send a shiver down the spine of the whole world. Yeah, and I think that's why I remember this being in the press, because it's just fucked up, guys. 24. Disclaimer. Brace yourself, Simon and dear audience. This is about to get disgusting. I've been bracing myself for the last half an hour because I remember this. Point of order. According to Joseph, he had applied for a building permit for an extension to his basement 
1978. His request was granted and the property was inspected. But by then, Fritzl had already been begun enlarging his basement. Now, this wasn't too uncommon at the time. The Cold War was still very much going on, and the threat of another world war was prevalent in the minds of so many people. So it wasn't seen as suspicious for someone to wish to turn their basement into a bunker in case they needed to shut themselves down there when the bombs started dropping. The basement itself was huge. Initially 380 square feet, by the time he was done, it expanded it to about 590 square feet. Wait, is this huge? Isn't that like 50 square meters? It's a large room. It's a big room. How big is this? Okay, it's a good-sized basement. (laughs) My basement office is a lot bigger. After the renovations and expansions were done, the basement consisted of a long 16-foot corridor behind the second door which led into a living area complete with a kitchen. This room had two doors, one leading further down the corridor into a bathroom area which in turn led to two bedrooms complete with two beds each. But where did that second floor in the living area lead? Well, it led to another room, one complete with padding all over the walls, full floors, and ceilings, insulated with foam for soundproofing. And yes, it's going to get bad. There were two access points to the basement. The first was the large 1,100-pound door to Joseph's workshop that was thought to be unusable due to its age and weight. The second was a metal door reinforced with concrete and on steel rails that weighed 660 pounds and measured 3.3 feet high and 2 feet wide. This was hidden behind a shelf in the workshop, protected by an electronic code entered using a remote control unit. If that last part doesn't sound both ominous and suspicious, I don't know what does. On that day, Elizabeth had disappeared. I mean, it sounds... If I heard about this, I'd assume like it's a safe room or like a bunker or whatever that some like prepper built rather than what this fucking monstrosity is. On that day Elizabeth had disappeared, Joseph had approached her and asked her for help. He needed assistance bringing down and attaching this one final door in the basement. Elizabeth agreed, and the two of them descended down into the darkness together. Not going through, not one, not two, but seven doors, they came to the last small room to place what would be the eighth door. As Elizabeth got into position and held the door for her father to fit it into the frame, she had no idea that this large passion project of her father's was no bunker. It was a prison cell. Without warning, Joseph swung the door inward and slammed it shut right in Elizabeth's face. She was knocked backwards and dazed, giving Joseph enough time to pull out an ether-soaked towel. He pressed it to her face, and she tried to fight back, tried to get away. But in the end, it was too much. Elizabeth passed out, and Joseph flung her inside the room, closing and locking the final door, just as it always planned. What happened next? It makes my skin crawl just thinking about it. With the final door installed, Elizabeth Fritzl's cell was complete, and believe me, Joseph wasted no time. That same day, soon after Elizabeth woke up, confused and alone, her father came back down and had his way with her. Then he did it again and again at least once a day. He'd make his way down into the basement, having forbidden Rosemary from disturbing him while he was downstairs, and made his way through the doors into the room where he'd let the monster out, all at the expense of his daughter. And he did this for 24 years. This wasn't something that he did on a whim either, that much is clear. Elizabeth was 11 in 1977 when Joseph started abusing her, and the very next year he applied for that extension permit. She was 11, and had already planned this out, to keep her sealed away from the world, all for his own depraved needs. Remember those letters? Yeah, me too. And Elizabeth did actually write them. It's just that her father forced her to write every single one, all with the intent of shutting the investigation down so that nothing would stand in his way. He'd pretty much thought of everything. Later, when questioned about it, Joseph simply said that he did what he did in order to control his evil desires, that there undoubtedly were people out there doing even worse things than himself. Oh, I don't like thinking about that. I don't like thinking about that, look, this happened once, this is happening again. And there's people out there 
in this situation right now. And I try not to think about this because you like going, you just can be walking around sometimes. And does anyone else think like all the horrible shit that's going on, like to people just in the world? Like I know there's a lot of good shit, but there's also so much bad stuff that's just happening and people trapped in terrible situations. And I don't know, I try not to think about it, but it's a lot, man. Think about that a lot. Anyway, um, in describing himself, Joseph stated that I was born to rape and I held myself back for a relatively long time. I could have behaved a lot worse than locking up my daughter. Um, no, you couldn't. I mean, let's not, let's not make that comparison, you piece of shit. But then Elizabeth started getting pregnant. Life in hell. Now, I know where your minds have instantly gone and you'd be absolutely correct. Every one of those children... All of Elizabeth's kids? Yeah, they were Joseph's. When dad is also grandpa, it's enough to make you want to vomit. The first pregnancy didn't go so well, ending in a miscarriage in November 1986. The second pregnancy? That was Kirsten. She was born on August the 30th, 1988, and she stayed with her mother down in the basement from the moment she arrived in this world to the moment she was taken to the hospital. This would certainly explain her poor health and shocking complexion. Stefan was Elizabeth's second child, born on February the 1st, 1990, and he, like Kirsten, remained down in the darkness with his mother until that fateful day in the hospital. Lisa came next, born August 29th, 1992. Now, for whatever reason, Joseph thought it would be a good idea to take Lisa from Elizabeth and bring her upstairs, let her stay in the sunlight, and allow Rosemary and himself to care for the girl. Maybe he felt the basement was getting too crowded and this was an easy fix, but we know how it all went regardless. Lisa was found with a note from Elizabeth, and she was raised to think that her mother had abandoned her. Once 1993 rolled around, Joseph put Elizabeth and the two children in the basement to work. Remember earlier I said that the basement was originally 380 square feet and ended up being 590? Well, it wasn't Joseph who created that additional 200 plus square meters. No, he forced Elizabeth and her children to do it, or with their bare hands, after Elizabeth begged him to create more room for their ever-growing family. It took years for this to be completed, and at no time did Joseph stop assaulting Elizabeth during the process. Soon, she became pregnant again, and on February the 26th, 1994, little Monica was born. She stayed in the dark with her mother until Joseph believed that the time was right, after which she too was brought upstairs to live as a normal person. To make this work, Joseph forced Elizabeth to record that voice message for her mother that we spoke of earlier. It didn't take long for Elizabeth to become pregnant, yet again. On April the 28th, 1996, she gave birth to twin boys, Alexander and Michael. As noted earlier, Alexander was taken upstairs once he was about 15 months old. But what of Michael? He must have stayed downstairs in the cellar with his mother, right? Well, sadly, no. Shortly after being brought into this world, Michael fell ill. When Elizabeth asked Joseph for help, he simply stated, what will be, will be. And only three days later, Michael succumbed to his sickness. So, what to do with the body? Well, Joseph wasted no time in coming up with a solution. Wrapping the infant's body up, he took it upstairs, sight unseen, and brought it to the backyard. There he gathered supplies, without any hesitation or remorse. He lit the body on fire, until there was nothing left but ashes. The abuse and misery continued into the new millennium, and soon enough Elizabeth was pregnant for the final time. On December the 16th, 2002, little Felix Fritzel was brought into the world. Unlike several of his older siblings, though, he was kept down in the cellar with his mother Kirsten and Stefan. Apparently, the only reason Joseph didn't bring her upstairs too was because Rosemary was getting older, and he didn't feel that she was up to raising another child. So I'm sure you must all be wondering, what exactly was life like down in the cellar? Um, I don't know, I got a fairly clear idea, Matt. The answer's fucking horrible. 
Well, aside from the constant assaults every day, Elizabeth tried her best to be a good mother and take care of her children, who she loved regardless of their origins. She fed them with the food that Joseph would bring down and stored in the fridge, and she even taught them how to read and write. Joseph allowed them to have a bit of entertainment, giving them a television, a radio, and a video cassette player. Elizabeth tried to keep them happy, tried to keep them upbeat, even though their teeth were rotting from malnutrition and a lack of dental care, and their posture suffered because they were too tall for the tiny cellar that they lived in. Stefan, for example, was five foot eight, but the cellar was only five foot six to the ceiling, which caused a painful stoop and walking problems. Joseph, however, seemed to take pleasure in causing his captives misery, even when he tried to disguise it as punishment. There were days when Joseph would turn off all the electricity to the basement for days, leaving Elizabeth and the children without light, without entertainment, or a way to keep the food preserved and edible. And speaking of food, when their food, which was already minuscule, would run out during these times, Joseph would refuse to come down and give them more, letting them go hungry for days on end. And on top of that, Elizabeth had gone on record and stated that Joseph not only assaulted her on a daily basis, but would force her to watch pornographic tapes almost daily, and he would force her to reenact what they watched on said tapes with him in front of their children. And disgusting isn't a strong enough word. So I know what you might be thinking now. Well, Matt, this is horrible on every level. Why didn't she try and escape? Well, she didn't try and didn't they say there were like eight doors? Well, it's pretty simple. Joseph was smart and he knew how to manipulate people. First and foremost, there were locks on the doors, two of which were electronic, and only Joseph knew how to open them. Second, he told Elizabeth and the children that not only would they be electrocuted if they tried to meddle with the cellar door, but if they attempted to escape, he would fill the cellar with gas and kill them all. A very Nazi of you, Joseph. Clearly, that was a lie, but they didn't know any better. They had no clue what Joseph may or may not have set up when he was out of their sight. All that pain, all of that fear. Well, that brings us right to 2008. The years of neglect and abuse finally caught up to Kirsten. Her body gave out and she fell unconscious in front of her mother and brothers. Elizabeth begged Joseph to help her, to save their daughter, and he agreed. To get her to his car, he needed Elizabeth's help, and so he allowed her out of the basement to carry her up with him. It was the first time that Elizabeth had seen the outside world in 24 years, which is unreal i just you that is such an extraordinary period of time i'm 36 now that would mean i would be locked up until i was 60 it's crazy it didn't last long enough though as joseph forced her back into the prison where she stayed for the next week as the days rolled on elizabeth grew more and more worried and fearful for her daughter she begged and pleaded with joseph to take her to kirsten to let her see how she was doing and soon enough joseph relented he informed rosemary that their daughter had decided to return home after a two-decade absence and elizabeth along with stefan and felix were allowed out of the cellar and were taken to the hospital where they were taken in by the police 24 years over three thousand rapes hours upon hours of fear and abuse and seven children of incest later. And the rest, as they say, is history. Into the Light After hearing Elizabeth's account of everything she suffered, the police had heard enough. Joseph Fritzl, at the age of 73, was arrested the same night on a litany of charges, including rape, incest, and unlawful imprisonment. The very next day, Elizabeth, Rosemary, and the children were all taken into protective custody for their own safety while the police conducted an investigation. Now, this seems like an open and shut case, right? All you had to do was listen to the interviews with Elizabeth, look at her kids, and it seemed to speak for itself. Hell, when confronted with the fact that Elizabeth had told them everything, an obstinate Joseph gave in and gave the officers the code to get into the basement through the small hidden door. They examined the personal prison, and they were appalled, seeing that everything Elizabeth had told them was true. DNA tests were conducted on all the children, and it showed that they were indeed Joseph's children, much to the disgust of the police. 
The community was shocked as more and more information was made public, and they were mortified that the respectable gentleman that they'd known for years was this deplorable demon that led this double rife right in broad daylight. So, throw the book at him, yeah? Well, unfortunately, due process is a thing, so Joseph had the right to a fair trial with fair representation. Which, in this case, I'm fine, how fair, you know, due process is great. And then let's uh, send this guy to prison forever. Let's lock him in a little concrete box and let him go for a little walk in another concrete box for an hour a day, maybe. That's that's like the biggest punishment I can imagine. I mean, outside of the death penalty, which unfortunately we're not going to see here. Like Sometimes I'm like, in ca- people are like, Simon, I don't like how you've come down on the death penalty to be on the side of him. And I'm like, I'd kill this fucker. How can you not? I, I, <laughs> how can you not love the death penalty when there's a case like this? But I mean, Jesus Christ, some people deserve to... King die. Joseph's lawyer, Rudolf Mayer, stated that yes, it was clear that incest had taken place, but the police needed solid evidence that rape and enslavement were also taking place. They had the audacity to try and say what happened to Elizabeth was voluntary. Uh, they're the defense lawyer, of course they're going to. I mean, what do you expect? To be out off that line of thought, Joseph would say that he had not raped his daughter, that it was consensual, though he still knew it wasn't right, stating that, I always knew during the whole 24 years that what I was doing was not right, that I must have been crazy to do such a thing. Yet it became a normal occurrence to lead a second life in the basement of my house. But what are you hoping for? You're an old man. Either way, you're going to prison forever, right? Whether you get locked up for incest or rape or murder, no murder. Um, But whatever you're going, you're going away forever. There's no question, is that all of these are just such monstrous crimes that they just need one, and that's forever, surely. Joseph kept trying to make himself seem better than he actually was. He tried to present this image of a loving father and grandfather that he would bring flowers to Elizabeth and toys to the children down in the cellar. He would eat meals in the basement with them, watch videos with the children, as if that absolved him of his sins. When asked why he initially made the cellar for Elizabeth, he tried to play it off that he did it to keep her in line, to teach her not to break the rules, stating, This is why I had to do something. I had to create a place where I could keep Elizabeth, by force if necessary, away from the outside world out of the year, am I right? It was also during the investigation that two things came to light. First was Joseph's endgame for Elizabeth. According to the police, they found a letter that seemed to indicate that Joseph would have eventually let Elizabeth and the children leave the cellar. He would have freed them, but not yet. The theory is that he was getting to be much too old to keep up with his daily abuse, so he was setting things up so that he would go and rescue Elizabeth from the spooky, mysterious cult that she was a part of, coming home with her as the big hero. The second thing was his mother, Maria Fritzl. Now, remember how I stated that she stayed with Joseph until her death? Well, let's just say that Elizabeth wasn't the only one that Joseph held captive. There was no love for Joseph and Maria, as was previously stated. She was unbelievably abusive towards him. So, with her now under his roof, Joseph repaid her in full. He began abusing his mother severely, much like he did with the rest of his family, to the point where instead of Joseph fearing her, Maria came to fear him. Then, in a dark coup de grace, he brought her upstairs to the attic, trapped her in there, and bricked up the windows. From that point forward, Joseph told his neighbors that she had died, all the while she was upstairs, suffering and afraid, alone in the dark. She died in 1980, and it's believed that she was trapped in the attic the entire time, perhaps as long as 20 years. The trial would begin on March the 9th, 2009, and it would last a total of four days. On the first day after the judge emptied the courtroom of everyone beside the jury, oh, Austria's jury trials, interesting. Joseph pled guilty to almost all charges, but pled not guilty to murder and grievous assault. Rudolf Mayers asked the jury to not follow their emotions, as impossible as that is, and that Joseph wasn't a monster. 
I'll be in the jury box being like, please hang him. I mean, would a monster bring a Christmas tree down to his hostages around Christmas time? Yes, he actually said that. Sometimes I think defense attorneys are just as delusional as their clients. No, they're just defense attorneys. <laughs> the defense attorney's screaming in his mind, he's a f***ing monster. Oh, God. <laughs> but he's entitled to representation, and why does it have to be me? <laughs> as the trial went on, the jury was shown a diagram of the cellar that Elizabeth was kept in, as well as 11 hours of videotaped testimony for Elizabeth herself, detailing the living hell that she had to endure at the hands of her father. The testimony was so heartbreaking that several jury members had to step away after only a couple of hours of it, so replacement jury members were on standby just in case. As far as the children and Rosemary, they also refused to testify, not wanting to go through the emotional emotional turmoil of seeing Joseph. On the second day, Elizabeth actually showed up to watch the trial. She was disguised in order to see the proceedings, but that didn't fool Joseph. He spotted her immediately and turned the whole trial on its head. According to Myers, quote, Joseph Fitzall recognized that Elizabeth was in court, and from this point on, you could see Joseph Fitzall going pale, and he broke down. It was a meeting of eyes that changed his mind. From that moment on, that was the end of it. The very next day, Joseph asked to speak with the judge and changed his plea. Joseph Fitzall pled guilty to all charges, rape, incest, kidnapping, false imprisonment, slavery, grievous assault, and murder by negligence of Michael, and stated that whatever the sentence, he wouldn't appeal. On March the 19th, 2009, he was sentenced to life in prison with the possibility of parole after 15 years. And as of this year, he's still imprisoned and serving out his sentence in Garson Abbey in Upper Austria. What? Possibility of parole after 15 years? Are you having a laugh, Austrian justice system? This guy should die in prison. He should be... I've got no words. 15 years after 15 years i hope that i hope sometimes i brought this up for it was like sweden or something and it was like yeah he can get paroled after like 21 years and he was like you know he killed like the, the brevik was it brevik the guy who killed all those people on that island he killed like 200 people and there was something like he can get out of prison after 21 years and then many swedish people were in the comments being like sammy you haven't quite got it right it's like well, he has to go before a board and they're never letting him out it's just he has to it's like the law he has to go in front of some board who could potentially free him even though they never will and that comforted me so i hope it's that situation what's going on here let me know austrians wrap up and that's as they say is that i must admit that this has got to be one of the most disgusting cases i've had to cover for this channel the hideous ordeal that elizabeth had to go through over two decades is the very definition of hell on earth and the pain and darkness her children were brought into only compounds the horror of the whole situation joseph fritzl is a demon of a man an incubus in human form whose whole motivation was his own skin crawling pleasure sacrificing the innocence and well-being of his own daughter in order to achieve it and this brings us to the biggest remaining question did Rosemary know? Did Elizabeth's mother, Joseph's wife, know what her husband had done to their daughter that was being kept down below their feet as Joseph's sex slave for 24 years? And what of her mother-in-law had been kept captive in the attic and died? It seems highly unlikely, almost impossible for her not to know. But that does seem to be the case. When speaking with the police, Rosemary denied ever knowing what had actually become of her daughter, and she was devastated to find out the hell she went through. It does seem insane that she wouldn't know, but... This Joseph guy's a fucking monster. Like, he had the padded room, he had the bricked-up attic. God damn. And Joseph backed her up, stating that her and their children had no clue what he had done. Could he be covering for her? Perhaps, but so far, no direct evidence has shown Rosemary had knowledge of Elizabeth's predicament, so it seems we'll take her word for it. Yeah, I mean, Joseph's the monster here. There's no evidence to say that she did know anything. I don't... I, 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 this, it didn't actually enter my mind, which is weird, because it's so, like, it's all going on in the house but still jesus but where does that leave us what of elizabeth her children 
Well, there was clearly a transition period for all of them and a litany of issues to overcome. The physical and emotional damage to all involved was so extensive, especially for the children who were kept in the cellar with their mother, being deprived of sunlight and fresh air their whole lives. Years of physical and mental therapy for them made things better. But it will be a lifelong struggle. The children who lived upstairs are also doing their best to cope with the events, having been lied to all their lives about their mother and dealing with the fact that their siblings were living right underneath them in such conditions. Thankfully, last we've heard, they're all doing rather well. Elizabeth and her kids have their name changed for obvious reasons and are reportedly happy and fairly healthy, doing their best to live normal lives. Elizabeth is said to enjoy showers and shopping and even passed her driving test with flying colors along with having a steady boyfriend who the kids adore. And speaking of the kids, all of them have formed fairly normal sibling relationships with each other, and those who were raised upstairs have grown to love their mother dearly after being deceived about her for so long. The kids love playing outside, playing video games, and the three kids who lived in the cellar have all learned to swim and love spending time with Elizabeth and Rosemary. Speaking of which, Elizabeth and Rosemary's relationship is said to be a good one, despite spending time estranged for obvious reasons. Elizabeth has since forgiven her mother for believing her father's story, and they're working together in order to raise the kids the best they can, trying to erase the terror that was their early lives. Oh my god, this ha- the fact that some of this turned out remotely normal is so nice, but wow. As for the house, well, the basement was filled up with concrete and was eventually put on the open market. You'd think that it would be demolished after all that happened, and some agreed that it should be. But in 2016, it was eventually sold for 160,000 euros, with the intent of it being turned into apartments. <laughs> Bro, just demolish it, please. Come on. With all that self- where does that leave Joseph when well, he's in prison, where he fucking belongs? Well, I can happily report that he's been suffering pretty badly ever since he started serving his sentence. Oh, good. In 2017, he'd shown no remorse for his crimes and had even got into a fight with other inmates where several of his teeth were knocked out. Oh, no, they were. What a shame. Come 29, so sad when there's prison violence of this, you know, of this extent. It's just so sad that there's violence in prison sometimes, isn't it? It's just such a shame. Come 2019, he's said to have no more will to live as his health continued to deteriorate. It's 2023 and he's still alive, 88, and alive and kicking as of this writing, and reportedly suffering from dementia. Oh no, he's got dem- Oh no, he's got dementia! God, that was the best of them, doesn't it? However, there have been ongoing developments that I feel should be addressed. There's been talks with the justice system to transfer Joseph out of his psychiatric detention facility and into a regular prison. Wait, why is he in a psychiatric detention facility? Now, Simon, if I recall correctly, you stated before that when one is in a psychiatric facility, you're pretty much there indefinitely or until you're declared fit to leave. That seems to be Joseph's situation, as if he's transferred to a regular position prison, then he'd be up for parole this year, having served his 15-year sentence. Um, so if things go a certain way, as slim as the chance might be, Joseph Fritzmore might be back on the streets, or at least in a regular old, hope, old folks home, given his dementia before year's end. What the actual f- Yes, Matt. What the actual f- Austria? Let's hope the old Grinch kicks the bucket before that's even a possibility. He doesn't deserve to breathe the same free air as those he tormented for all those years. Rot in hell, you unyielding shitbag. Indeed. Indeed. Don't really have much to add there. That put it rather well. Thanks for watching. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. 
With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.